what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) Why did that happen? Like we're just about to start, and everyone just bursts into tears. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook, who's laughing at a fart noise he heard off in the distance. (laughs) And in studio with us today, all laughing right now, is Mr. Josh Moran and Mr. Forrest Mickey. Fellas, welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Very fortunate to have you guys in the studio. That's awesome. And spending the week together before the actual seminar kicks Mm -hmm. off. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we're pretty stoked. Do you love it how Glenn says in the studio, but it loses its effect when we're here and we realize that we're just sitting in a room? room. (laughs) No, no, no. I I knew this was the studio long before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he actually walked in and he said, oh, that's the studio. studio, It's been nominated as the studio now. In in inverted commas, the studio. Really, it's just this weird in-between room inside the house, like this commuter room that you just sort of walk between to get things and it's just become like a media room sort of thing the studio the hangout room yeah, yeah it's feels, the green room we've already got more use out of it than the last time that i was here yeah because it was just a walkthrough now we're sitting down we're enjoying it now it feels a little bit more like a waiting room that's yeah. right <laughs> comfy couch comfy <laughs> couch yeah man you're putting all your uh, your psa stuff up which yeah, i like got the plaques and the trophies up and the roddy wall gotta show that shit off yeah you guys arrived yesterday yeah yep. we're recording on tuesday it's Sometimes doesn't get out for a day, so people understand. So you're here for like a full week before, which is pretty cool. I mean, yeah. normally when guys arrive, it's tend to be like day before, even morning before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for seminars. So yeah, they get cool. here blasted and tired from the jet. Um, yeah. So a bit lagged out and so forth. So pretty good. The guys got in, had a good flight, had a good sleep from all reports from them. And then they, uh, they had a good sleep last night as well. And so basically what they'll do is, is regulate themselves, get on proper time so they're fresh for the seminar they're not here red-eyed trying to get through the brain frog of the day which mm-hmm. is terrible mm-hmm. and yeah. then um yeah it's gonna be good so they're gonna be nice and fresh for everybody mm-hmm. which will excite a few people i'm sure it worked out pretty perfect because we flew out of the states at midnight on a, it was our saturday and so we got right to sleep i think we uh josh had a couple pot cookies or something like that so we Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> the shit works, man. Like, you take those, you get on a plane, it just starts to kick in before you don't want to have a conversation with anybody because you're, you're rather incapable of your sleep. And, yeah, man. And you wake up, there's a few hours to go. and Noise-canceling headphones. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Noise-canceling yeah. headphones and pot cake. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. We, yeah, we slept and then... Um, got here and it was in the morning time so it almost felt like it was just perfect yeah, yeah. it was great yeah it was and nice. i i personally like to come in a little bit early when i when i so i heard yeah and the, and the, 
<laughs> Small feet. And then when, uh, <laughs> you know, when I travel in the past, it was, uh, I'd come in right before, like right under the deadline to get there for the seminar and, uh, just want to enjoy the time, settle in. And plus we mm. feel close with you. We get to come and stay, yeah, that's stay right. with you. We got friends here now. Um, Pat too. So yeah, it's nice just to hang out and get some days in and then, oh shit, we guess we got to teach today. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was actually saying the, the other day, it's actually a shame you're all not going to the IACP because all three of us are going to be there. And mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be great if we could hang out together, but you got shit on and yeah. you got life ahead of you. I'll and get there sometime. Yeah, yeah it'd be great. There's something. Yeah, it'd be good to hang. He's been saying that for years. Mm. <laughs> My member pack arrived the other day. I'm actually a member of you IACP. just made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good for you. So. My, I just got an email that I'm, I'm three days away from not being a member. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to pay more or something when you go. Uh, uh, yeah, or no, can just, you not go if you're not a member? Yeah, so basically, uh, the way it works, you can totally go if you're not a member. Uh-huh. But if you're not a member, the cost is something like, we'll say like... It's 100 bucks small. Yes, yeah, 600 bucks, right? Got it. But if you are a member, it costs 500 bucks. The cost of membership is $100. So if you're not a member... Same thing. Huh? Basically, you become a member and you go. Yeah. Got it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get there some year. So I'm glad that you guys all go and have a good time. It should be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is good. It's Well, I'm I'm only gauging it off one that I've been to because I've only been to one. But <laughs> I had a great time. I Everyone knows I hooked up with Josh over there and met Justin Hall. And we had a we had a really good time. <laughs> we had a really good time. It was it was fun. But you know, Tyler was there. Brent and Kat were there. I've said that on the show plenty of times. There was there were a lot of cool people there. <laughs> Chad and Jay were there. Who else? Ed Frawley. Yeah. Um, Ed, Ed Jeff Frawley. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, got to hang out with Ed and meet him. I mean, I know I've said this before, but like hearing him in shows like he's done the Lieberg series, which mm-hmm. both you guys got quite a bit of notoriety through, yeah. uh, but actually meeting Ed and hanging out with him, like for you guys, he's just an old pal, you know. Mm-hmm. Old Codger. <laughs> but for me, it's... You know, like he's an institution because mm. like he developed the Learberg series and the shop and everything like that. And I've spoken to him via email and, and uh, SMS before and so forth. But like get drunk with him and tell stories and talk yeah. shit. That was really awesome. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. And, you know, like we got to talk and reminisce about some of the really old things that happened, you know, 30 years ago when Schutzen really sort of started to kick off. Well, it was, it was, a, it was here, it was around, but... That's where it started to gain legs before it changed into IPO and everything. So it was an exciting journey to go back in time a little bit with him and talk mm-hmm. about it all and some of the origins and how he got involved and what he did with his film work and where Learberg originated from. So, yeah, it was cool. And meeting Jeff as well. Like he's mm-hmm. the, the next gen and, mm-hmm. you know, he's come along. He's got some different ideas and mm. different things he wants to do. Same, same, but different as the Thais say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a great origin story for you guys to get would be... Ed Frawley. I'd love to just got interview him. Yeah, what a journey. Yeah, like, what a journey yeah. that he's got, the history behind that guy. So mm. really forward thinking too. So He's a bit of a, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but at least for me, he was kind of a bit of an institution as well. Yeah. yeah and it was, uh, it was very interesting when I first went to Learburg, you know, Forrest contacted me and you know, I know I talked about it and, you know, the last time we were on here, uh, that I just, I, th- I thought somebody was fucking with me. And I didn't really respond to that. That was hell funny when you were talk, telling that story, like, yeah, fuck you, you know, you you just lead me up the path. But <laughs> yeah, it I, actually I really, turned into a video series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I went there and sat down, it was, you know, I'm sitting here in front of the camera and it's Forrest and Jeff and Ed and Cindy. And they're like, okay, now 
Talk about dogs. Get, get your clothes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was on this black couch. Yeah. Was... <laughs> All right. Do you really want to be a star? <laughs> Forrest did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the Lieberg Black Series. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to work a little harder than I did at it, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Forrest, Forrest, is, Forrest is sitting in the corner, cuddling himself, crying a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to watch sorry, this. I George. know exactly what's going to happen. Sorry yeah. to relive mine. Uh, Pat's going to bring, I just wanted to, because we were talking about <laughs> I don't want to talk about my trauma anymore. Pat's going to bring his family to the uh, the conference. We were just talking about that before this podcast got rolling for 10 days, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're going to Disney beforehand, because I think we talked about it here that Rip wants to meet Buzz Lightyear. Rip's my son, he just yeah. turned three, and um, he's at the perfect age to experience Disney in the way that it will be magical, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he, When I say meet Buzz Lightyear, like as we're saying, when he meets Buzz Lightyear, it's really going to be Buzz Lightyear, not a guy in a suit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about doing that, to Disney for like three or four days before we head down. Cool. The flight with the three-year-old is going to be... Fun. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So last time I came home from the States, I flew out of Texas. And, you know, that's like the second longest flight you can do. Sure. It's like so in the middle of the country. Yeah, yeah. Right? So there's this kid. He reminded me a lot of my kid. He was, I was in the aisle and he was in the aisle opposite me, one row forward. And as, exactly like you say, you're bored in the middle of the night. So he goes to sleep. It's all cool, right? And he's doing awesome, this kid. He's keeping his shit together until maybe the last three hours of the flight. Now, if he had known how to work an emergency exit, I'm 100% sure <laughs> he would have fucking popped that thing and we all would have been down because he just could not understand why he was stuck in this tube, yeah. right? <laughs> to the point where the last two hours, he just laid on the floor screaming. Oh, like, no, dude, yeah. It's about maybe three or four and... There's nothing anybody could do to make it any better for him. He just needed to be off mm, that plane. Mm. So, yeah, that's going to be me in like six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, should just bring a <laughs> wiffle bat. <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing it too, which I thought was neat. You called it as a recce. So just sort of like you guys are going to come, your whole family is going to check it out because you might next year spend six months in the state. Yeah, that's the segue. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're looking at that. It's kind of been on the cards for a while now. I wanted to do it. And things are aligning to look like it should come off. Mm. So we want to spend sort of six months. You've probably been talking about this for the last three years, haven't you? Like, yeah. ideally, it's been, yeah. it's the well, journey that's going to happen, but just when. Yeah, mm. well, me and Jane actually have been wanting to do it for for ages. Like, I remember, I think the first time we discussed it was like in 2005, talking about going cool. to do it and yeah. doing like a six week and then it grew and grew mm. and, and then it just wasn't the right time and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And so now it looks like things are finally aligning that we can afford to to spend up to six months there. Mm-hmm. I want to take my dog and I want to travel around and compete in PSA and stuff. And, and um, you know, the goal with him, I want to get him through the whole program, which I sort of have reconciled the fact that that's maybe unlikely to happen because of, you know, the average sort of person takes 10 trials or so to get a level three. And that 10 trials at the rate that we have them here is... 10 years 10 years mm. yeah. so it's unrealistic so I want to go over there and sort of try and close out our level 2 spend 6 months travelling around just go to all the different trials and again like next year is probably a good time like the year before Rip starts school you know we've got the time we really need we need a judge we need somebody who's official in Australia so yeah. we can you know in between bringing out the big judges and the guest judges I mean ideally that's you 
Yeah, well, I've got to talk to Jerry about how that's all going to pan out. I haven't run it all past him exactly what, what That'd be, it all That is. would be one of the goals, though, is that you could get your judgeship and that the lower level stuff over here potentially. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, At least I, we can start cranking out some level ones. For sure. That yeah. would be, help, help in an well, ideal world, that would be great. That's right. And I bet, like I said, I haven't run this past Jerry yet, but I, that's the plan is I want to try. You have now. <laughs> I, want to, I want to talk to him about potentially sort of apprenticing or at the minimum stewarding the lower levels PTC level one mm. I want to compete in the level two and decoy in the level three mm. of every trial I can possibly get to next year and as many so we'll pick up a six month window that will afford the most the maximum amount of trials and yeah see then mm. if we like hopefully close out a level two for ourselves cool and then come back here and be able to push the game forward a little bit mm. like then at trials be able to compete in a level three here uh, and potentially get lower like PDC level one type trials going in Australia without having to bring someone else over. If only you could have someone uh, wealthy enough that you could sell your soul to that you could do that for. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. So uh, <laughs> if only. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in job talks with some people for the rest of the year to, yeah. to facilitate that. Yeah. And one, one thing you had mentioned uh, just for anybody listening in the States is that Pat was kind of deciding how they wanted to do this, whether they're going to get, like rent some van or a small RV or something to cruise around with. So, mm. I mean, I lived out of a van for nine months, so I've been pushing them saying that's, that's the right thing to do and a, and a neat way to do it. So anybody over there that's got a vehicle that might fit him and his family's needs, two adults, one three-year-old, one dog, yeah, uh, that might not be using it. Yeah, get a hold of them, man. Yeah, hit me up. That'd be that. great. Yeah, so that, that that's be. where we're leaning towards, like yeah. small RV, because yep. we want to travel around. We'll get the, hit the whole country. Yep. We'll put some miles on that thing, that's yeah. for sure. And yeah, travel around to as many trials as we can. Jane's a tattoo artist, so you know she'll be looking to tattoo while she's there. And as I said, the last piece of the puzzle now is what sort of solidified the whole thing was getting that level one title because I wasn't mm. I want to go over there to compete in the level two because the level one I can do here pretty easily right and so when I got that on the dog I was like oh shit like it's actually really happening mm. so at the moment yeah it's looking like I might really go ahead provided he doesn't get injured again which mm. is with that dog anything could happen at any moment <laughs> um yeah he's a bit of a seal team potato isn't he yeah well mm. I mean like all good dogs he Gives he no just, fucks. Yeah, that's so right. He happily injures himself and then continues to work injured, and it's not until you, you know, much later you even realise there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with him. But yeah, so that's it. It Forrest has now done my plug for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for you, man. It'd be cool. Yeah, and Glenn can come over during your stretch over there. And- yeah, Absolutely. so like I said, it's a bit more than fifty-fifty mm. now. Like we're we're leaning towards yep. likely going to happen. Yep. Um, and, and to be honest, the, the last sort of defining factor is this gig for the remainder of the year in Australia just to facilitate paying for it. Mm. So if that comes together, then then it'll it'll probably go ahead. Mm. I think that's probably the best way you can go somewhere and check out the actual country. You know, the yeah. first time I came down to Australia, Jess and I came down, we spent like five and a half or six and a half weeks. And, you know, obviously I, did, I only got to three different cities, right? But I felt like I got to see a lot more of Australian mm-hmm. culture because I was I was here for a bigger chunk of time. So mm-hmm. if you're going to go to the States, I mean, it's like the size of Australia, but there's so many different yeah. pockets of environments you can check out from, you know, Midwest to East Coast and all that shit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, such a, div- I mean, it's like Australia. It's such a diverse country. I mean, you can yeah. be in knee deep snow or you can be in blaring sunshine mm-hmm. in no time at all we don't have the same sort of snow fields that you guys have like half your country is dumped on in snow in in your winters yeah um mm-hmm. where we only have the luxury of our mountain ranges for skiing and stuff like that you can still go from very cold temperatures to extremely arid climates in no time at all so you know it's such a massive country compared to some of the other ones that you go to mm-hmm. which are either always cold and raining and mm-hmm. always hot 
So, yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I've been to the States a few times just for conferences, but I'd love to go over there to just go over there and travel around and meet some dog people and see what they're doing rather than rush into the country and rush straight out again, which has pr- primarily been the case. It's been a week there and then straight back home again, back to work. So, yeah, it'd be nice like to take a three, four-week stretch out, mm-hmm. go around, just travel around, meet some people, see what they're doing come visit you guys in your home state and stuff like that. Sean and Janet and a few of Mike Suttle, mm. some of the people that I've met along the way, it'd be great to go over there and just spend a couple of days and say, hey, what you doing? And Hell yeah. Yeah, be cool. I'm excited about the idea of traveling without an agenda. Yeah. And so really our only agenda would be to get to the trials and, and the plan would be... And just there. fill in in between. Yeah. 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 The plan would be to, you know... Get whatever club's hosting a trial, train with them for the, the few weeks beforehand. Surely someone in that club is a full-time trainer that I can you know train with during the day and get some work with. And in that way, have no agenda other than just cruising around. We hear about something we want to go see in the car, we go see it. And just, you know, take it easy. Mm. Be cool. And it, it'd be perfect because, you know, Rip's at an age where he'll probably remember it, but mm. he'll be able to participate. We're going to do this like a year ago without a dog do the travel but it was just carrying a baby around would have been a pain in yeah, the ass right yeah. so a little toddler and he's he he's very social he likes to engage with everybody and, and so it'd be good it'd be great for him too yeah I mean a great social environment for him to grow up in and see a different culture and yeah experience a different part of the world I mean yeah. he's young enough like he's young enough not to remember all of it but it's the still it's still great remember. yeah the experience would be awesome for him mm-hmm. mm. Maybe we'll get remarried again in Vegas. Who knows? <laughs> in, the, in the Chapel of Love with Elvis as your best man. And- no, we got married. We, got, we, we did get married in Vegas in 2011. Oh, really? but yeah, we got married on the pirate ship at Treasure Island dressed as pirates. Awesome. Cool. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. We, when we'll, like, so one of my friends in our peer group, like he was the first one married. I was a groomsman. Oh, sorry. I was the MC at that wedding and I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, this costs like 40 grand. And it was a pretty normal wedding. You know what I mean? Like hundred people on a boat, like not like there was nothing crazy. It was just really nice, normal wedding. And me and Jane looked at each other and just were like, fuck that. Mm. If we're dropping that much money, we're spending that on ourselves. And you know, like there were people that weren't invited turned up, like family members are fighting and all that sort of normal wedding bullshit. Right. Mm. And we're like, fuck that. If 40 grand is the budget, we're spending that on ourselves. So we gave people like two years notice we just gotten engaged at that point. Said in two years we're getting married in Vegas on this date. Be there or don't. Like whatever. We're, I'm happy with that. Uh, we had like 58 people come. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And we got married on the pirate ship out the front of Treasure Island. So 58 of our friends and like two and a half thousand other people yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that were just walking past. Yeah, that's pretty um, awesome. Yeah, we got married on the pirate ship, dressed up as pirates, just for a laugh, and then just because it needed to be more weird. After the pirate wedding, we then went into a cowboy bar and had like a impromptu reception in a cowboy mm-hmm. bar doing- Dressed bull, as pirates. Yeah, bull riding, dressed mm-hmm. as pirates, line dancing. It mm-hmm. was- Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it was mad. Only in America. Awesome yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so that was our plan. We we're like, well, you know, if, if we're spending that money, we're spending on ourselves. So we went and we're in New York for New Year's and all that sort of jazz and then- it was a good time. So That's awesome. Maybe we'll run that play again while we're in Vegas, you know. <laughs> maybe we'll do the Elvis this time. We can renew our vows. Pirates the first time, Elvis the second time. I like it. All right. So we've got you guys here, obviously, for the seminar, which we've all been waiting for for quite some time. So it's the first time we've had you two together. Like, we've, you've been here separately quite a few times now with a few different people doing a few different seminars, but we actually have you, the luxury of the two of you together, <laughs> presenting together, which is fantastic. 
So what's it going to look like from your end, Josh? Like, let's start with you to begin with. What are you looking for when you're working with your dogs? With my personal dogs? With the dogs that are coming to you for... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean... Did you bring your wiffle bat, ball bat? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to be handing those out. Um, God, that was terrible. We just watched that video. Of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Mm. Um, as far as what I'm looking for... You know, most of the time when I'm doing a workshop or a seminar, there's there's kind of like a loose guideline for what I want to try and cover with people. But I think as anybody who's ever been in that position knows, there's a certain amount of just kind of whatever shows up and what people want to work on. So that's always going to be a part of it. There's some things that I want to try and focus on a little bit, uh, primarily just some of the things that I've had a lot of good feedback on, on my part from or, you know, on what I'm doing, essentially really focusing on trying to break some concepts down for, for clients. So I know there's, there's likely to be a lot of just dog owners that, that show up, but many times when I've been out here, it's a lot of other dog trainers. And so in a lot of cases, people tell me one of the things they think I'm pretty good at is my ability to take a concept and break it down so that it's easily digestible. So that's some stuff that I'd like to focus on. Uh, and I also wanted to be able to focus a little bit on how to use concepts like free shaping or capturing spontaneous behavior and tricks and things like that to help people who have dogs that may be really anxious or fearful, a lot of the reactive dogs and how we can use some of those concepts to really help them manage their dog's behavior without having to focus so much on the physical management side of things. Mm. In the States with you guys, when you're doing seminars, who turns up to your workshops? Is it mainly other trainers or is it mainly clients like people who need their dogs trained? What's the general audience that you see? I think see? I probably get a fairly good mix of both. But mm. I also think that a lot of times when I'm doing a workshop in the States, it's kind of geared or pushed or marketed, however you want to say it, towards other dog trainers. So mm. I think that's that's a variety of what I get. But since going on Leerberg's online university, I've also gotten a lot of just dog, pet dog, pet dog owners, owners who, yep. who are looking to help improve their dog skills and get some, some tools under their belt. Mm. Mm. Yeah, m mostly other trainers for me. Yeah. They come. Yeah. yeah. And competitors, right? Few mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is not really a competitor myself, but um, I. You have feel competed. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've got some information. I think that the information that I have or what my, probably mostly like what they, what my dogs can do or are capable of that picture is something that they want. So. Yeah. We were watching your Mondio trial the other day with uh, Elsa. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, I've watched highlights of Mondio before, but I've never really watched the competitive side of it like mm. the obedient side i've always watched the highlights of the bite work but you know because the mondio nationals happening here shortly we mm. were just talking about mondio and you know pat's looking into doing a little mondio work himself yeah well we're still in training trying to figure out whether we can have a crack at that mr1 and there's just a couple of little points of conflict that are different to PSA and so we're just trying to figure out how we can manage that without damaging one sport to do another yeah. we'll figure it out this week yeah, yeah we that'd be it, awesome yeah. but mm. so that that's why we've been watching some Mondio video that I've I've sort of watched plenty of bits and pieces and gone like oh that's yeah. cool but I've never watched it critically before and gone mm. like oh okay like where's the points in this and there, there's mm. you know how good is the internet that there's people who put up their own trial videos and have like this is where I lost this point this is where I lost mm. this point and yeah. so yeah there's so many references right that i yep. can mm. i can learn this sport that i've got no one mm. to to i haven't even fully read the rules i sort of skimmed over the rules mm. but it was enough to now watch all these videos and go oh yeah i see what's going yeah. on here. yeah it is nice here. to watch an, a non-ego based video yeah where people will put it up and use it as education material like 
I mean, these days what we're used to doing, and we all do it. Look, I'm not criticizing others before myself. We all do it where we show people the best of work. You know, like you like to show people the pizzazz and the flash, not Mm. the mistakes. Mm. However, I've kind of come to appreciate mistakes in training. Like I come to appreciate when people show you how not to do it or what you did or how to avoid it happening again in your dog. I think that's elementally that's great work to actually watch for me like other people might watch it and be critical of it i watch it and i think i'm appreciative of it like mm-hmm. i think that is not only is a ballsy that the trainer did it and showed the mistakes and showed them screwing up and stuff like that we're all mauled we all make mistakes it's great for us as trainers to actually look at it and say that's learning material right there mm-hmm. that's how i can avoid making the same mistake because if you don't see it and you make it you think how do I get myself out of this? Mm, sure. It's hard to be self-analytical in those moments where you're trying to figure out how do I manage this in a better format next time I'm out with a dog. And when you see someone do it, yeah, man, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, really making good. Making the mistake is kind of important. It is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I prefer almost to uh, just what I've learned about myself. People tell me all the time, like, don't do this because I can tell you from experience I've done it. And then uh, usually don't heed that as much as when I, when I do it myself and yeah. I've got to like crawl my way out of that shit. Yeah. 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 And like, that's of course. Self-discovery. Well, yeah. the lesson I've learned from that with letting dogs make mistakes is teaching them not to make it again. Mm. Like allowing mm. the mistake to happen at some format and teaching the dog, okay, now that you've done it, I don't want to see it again. Sure. So you mm. force that that behavior into extinction. So the dog goes, mm. right, I'm not supposed to do that. And like, I kind of wanted to, but or, now I'm not. A, yeah. Or there's or there's nothing in it from them. So yeah. whatever your feedback system is, if it's something like that they're enjoying and you've got to say like, uh, it's probably not something you should continue doing because whatever, it's detrimental to your health or I don't, you know, it's a nuisance enough where it should quit. Or there's no good strategy in that. So yeah. there's no good there's success no in that. Mm. And so for a dog that's... Uh, not that interested, but is trying other things. They, they get their own feedback by not getting something or not getting the result that they want. So they can still be remain strategists within that. So. Mm. You can see in Mondo, like PSA, when I was watching the videos that you do need a thinking dog, a strategist dog, that, mm. that word, like you can see a dog needs to be able to unpack what's going on, not just follow mm-hmm. blind instructions, like um, look around and go, oh yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is this scenario, even though it looks different. Even though things are different to how we've rehearsed it, I understand mm. what you want. Mm. This is a good. Um, we we were talking yesterday. Maybe this is a good kind of like segue into that. But um, Glenn and I were talking about using. I use food in bite work, mm-hmm. and it's for a couple of reasons. So often you'll see like dogs that are just. Let's say they're giving you some secondary obedience. Your your reward system could be that they get to go and bite the helper, for example, or mm-hmm. if you're even a little bit more. Um, if you want to, some people don't like this, you could reward to yourself. So even when there's a helper out there and he's, he's potentially the reward for the dog, you could choose to, uh, thanks buddy. Am I supposed to, Glenn just passed me a pillow. <laughs> should I, should I, I just thought that might be, it might be uncomfortable sitting on that, oh, that yeah, chair. But, I'm pretty good. Yeah. I just, fidget. I'm all about the comfort. I'm all about, you know, <laughs> yeah. like giving, not receiving. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, but we, I noticed Pat didn't give Josh his pillow. Yeah. No, it's okay. Know, he's got one there. <laughs> all good. I'm keeping it. But, or you could, you could also choose to reward the dog to yourself uh, mm-hmm. in that same context. So imagine you are teaching your dog to heal for you. And there's a helper out there wearing a sleeve or a decoy, wearing a full protection suit. And you've traded that healing for bites. We call that a premac principle. You've, the dog has given you healing when they really want to bite and you exchange those two things. And that's a nice little, um, that's like a, a currency exchange. The dogs will also often want to be involved in. The other thing you could do is pay to yourself directly. So instead of permitting that dog to go and bite the decoy, you could insist that in the beginning, it might be insist that the dog takes a toy from you. 
and that's a, that's kind of a useful thing for a lot of dogs that make mistakes of anticipation. Mm-hmm. So there's only one outcome to any to the scenario right here. I heal in position for this person, <clears throat> for my guy, and then I get to go and bite that person. And a lot of times when there's just that one outcome, the dog gets um, a little bit too focused on that. What happens is it just takes a, w- a little bit of the power or the salience away from you in that sense. And so dogs that are really oriented towards the person, and maybe it, it is like overall it tips the scale away from you in, in terms of just like I said, the salience, the relevance they have in that situation. So you can balance the dog out. One of the things that happens is by teaching them that they could take a reward for, from you, and it's not just the decoy that pays, is that the dog has to be a little bit more mindful in that position. Mm. So that's not the given outcome. There's two givens, or there's two outcomes that could happen here. And you actually have to stick around in position a little bit longer to hear the word that tells you exactly how this thing, this reward event is going to play out. And it's contingent though on a dog having enough um, desire to play with or a dog that will take the toy from you and actually play with you, even though they thought that that decoy was an option. And so if you spent two years teaching the dog that if they give you some obedience, they get to go and engage in the helper with, for protection work, they get to go bark at them or they get to go and bite them or whatever. That's a dog that one day you decide you want to pay them to yourself for the work. They're going to resist that. And in fact, it might even be punitive to them. Mm-hmm. Like they won't take that toy. They can't even fathom taking it. It's not good enough. And so if you felt like you wanted something like that in your program, you would have to take the dog out of that environment and just teach them to play with you. Even when that person in a suit, that guy with a sleeve on the ground, a guy holding the sleeve, a guy cracking the whip, however you want to lead into more extreme variations of that has to play with you sort of wholeheartedly in a way that they're committed to. And then you could go back in and say, now in this same context, I could choose to reward you or I could reward you that guy. And then what's, what's popular in training now or what's becoming more popular is having different markers that indicate where that value is going to come from. So yeah. we call it terminal bridge discrimination, or at least I do you call it multiple reward markers. They terminate the behavior, so they do release the dog from the position, but they also predict where the value is coming from. So attack could mean he gets to go and bite the helper. Yes, could mean I'm going to pay you directly. Get it could mean there's a toy on the ground that you can take. You could go as far as to differentiate between food and toy on the ground too, if you want to, if you want to get really crazy with it. But what's just, what's kind of neat and, and Josh could actually speak to this. And it's just something I thought about with this when I saw, and I started with myself using different markers is it really made my dog more mindful in position because they couldn't just get so um, worked up over mm-hmm. that one thing that was going to happen. Uh, but when you guys work with dogs with like aggression, issues or dogs that react forward because they're feeling insecure, however they're feeling about another dog. And there's just one dog there. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for them to fixate on that one dog and get honed in on it and think that's the one thing that's going to happen. So I need to, however I'm feeling right now, I'm going to take it all out on that thing. Um, and then when you're actually, when the dog is put in an environment where there's more dogs there, so we're working with dogs that have reactivity issues. I don't know if I'm call it that way, but they can't fixate on one dog because there's more dogs around. So sure. it divides their brain in a way that makes it almost makes it easier for to for you to reach them. So they can't mm-hmm. get so stimulated and worked up on one. They actually are divided. It's a principle of flooding. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. It's a yeah, big... So they're brought into an environment where there's so much stimuli that they're reactive to. In the end, they if it's successful and the trainer understands the principle what they're doing correctly, the reason they're doing that is to primarily do what you're just describing Mm -hmm. they bring the dog in there to become not to a point of comfort but to a point of acceptance Mm -hmm. like this is happening i'm here nothing happened okay Mm -hmm. like my instinctive belief or goal was that i was going to get 
beaten down by all these dogs or I had to react to them. Mm. Whereas after a period of time, they think, well, nothing's happened. There's no gain from this. Mm. And then when you come in and potentially rescue the dog in the environment or show the dog a better pathway, a better option, Mm. the dog reaches a point of satisfaction through working with you and thinking, I don't need to be in this mindset anymore of wanting Mm. to either A, attack the dogs or flee from them. Mm. You know, I can accept being here. Nothing happened. The instinctive goal of being attacked or having to um, chase after the other dogs, I don't need to be in that mindset anymore. So Mm -hmm. we're changing the mindset and the feeling of the dog initially. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, one of the core principles behind a lot of the socialization that's being done with pet dogs Mm. at this point, off-leash, large field socialization or the Chad Mackin style you know, pack to basic style, indoor, smaller rooms type of socialization flooding is absolutely essential to that. And I think mm-hmm. kind of going back a little bit to what Forrest was talking about, to a certain extent, that form of flooding, I think, breaks some of those logical associations that the dog might have. They see the dog on the street. That's the only thing that's important. When I see dogs on the street, this is the way I respond. Mm-hmm. And by being able to change that environment a little bit, give them more dogs to focus on, very similar to having a variety of terminal bridge uh, discriminators like you're going to be in a position now where you're forced to respond differently because the picture has changed mm-hmm. I think a lot of people with their dogs have been taught to you know for example Forrest is talking about a decoy and a dog that's done a lot of healing to get access to the decoy or just for example I see a ton of people who do a very watered down but very similar version of that with their dog and downstays or sit stays where they put the dog in a sit they tell him stay they walk 10 feet away they call the dog to him and so the more times this happens the more the dog anticipates oh you told me sit you told me stay you're walking away i know 100 percent of the time i'm running to you Mm. so being able to then break that association going back to the dog releasing him when you're next to him or asking the dog to do a different type of behavior i think those things are really interrelated Mm. Mm. so it's like uh protects the dog from mistakes of anticipation and so i don't think um for the example that I gave in the obedience, trading off secondary obedience for a helper or or having the dog take toy from you is necessarily flooding. It's more like um, creating m- multiple options for yeah. this. Instead of the dog saying, this is, we talk about like the neural pathways in training, but instead of me following through with this behavior that's really strongly ingrained, now there's multiple options. So that path is not always taken. So you weaken it mm-hmm. a bit mm. and, you, and you strengthen an alternative path. And it's more like addiction responses from dogs. So my dog's addicted to going that way. And I need to kind of find something that can contend with that. So mm-hmm. he's not so eager for this. He's not such a maniac for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was only using the, the flooding example as like, mm. uh, just, you know, tie in. To yeah, no, it's, it's right. Um, for that tie in, but yeah. I just want to say yeah, yeah. that for those that listening that know about this stuff, that's not what's taking place exactly. there in that yeah, situation. Yeah. yeah. The, the bigger thing though, is, um, I want my dog to, the way that I look at it is it's almost a greater level of discipline from them. And I want them to be content with me giving them a toy because I choose to give them a toy in that context. Yeah. I understand you'd like that guy. I understand you're really good at fighting that dude. I, I can see it. I know that I know the blood that courses through your brains. I've got your pedigree. I know all the things that you are and you're wonderful at, at being and you're meant for that, but I don't care. I also want you to take this toy because that's what I give you and that's what we play with and I'm fair and I'm I'm good in that sense and this should be meaningful to you. And we talked about, I kind of used the word spoiled last night, mm. which maybe is an anthropomorphic term, but it's like, I don't want my dog to, to be so like spoiled that they're choosing that stuff for themselves. 
And yeah. we love we love choice in training. We love to set our dogs up to make the right choices and figure out how to navigate through situations to become victorious and that makes them strong and powerful. I also want to be able to say, you don't get to bite that guy. You get to play with me. I've got this great toy for you. And for the dog to be like, that's awesome too. And to do it wholeheartedly uh, so that when I out my dog from that toy, they're not searching around for the the helper yeah. again, but they're still committed to me. They're present. Yeah, I, I agree with that hundred percent. I spend a lot of time establishing all my markers. I have many that mm. will mean different things. And then there's a day where it's no longer an opportunity for the reward. It's a command for the type of reward that I'm telling you. So when I tell you you're going to take food in the presence of a decoy, you have to. It, mm. Like, first of all, I teach you to take food because you heard the click. And, and you happily do it because it's the highest value thing around. Mm. But at a, the, at a point, it's not the highest value thing around. Mm. And at that day, I teach you, no, no, you have to take it. Mm. Whether you want it or not, you have to take it. That's right. And, and the same with the ball. You will be content. You will take this ball and pretend you're having a wonderful time mm-hmm. and lose yourself in the pretend and actually have a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's happening. That's right. right? And well, the food might even be like a tougher sell because that's specifically what last night what we we're talking about was the food. Yeah. And a lot of dogs, so there's there's two things on it. With the, with the food, it's some dogs aren't feeling appetitive in the face of a decoy. Like their nervous system mm-hmm. at that point is feeling it's too much pressure on it or it's already escalating too much where they can't even fathom eating because everything in them says, no, I'm not hungry right now. Yeah. Mm. And their mind is overstimulated. So at that point, it's a diagnostic for me. If my dog can take food, that helps me calm them down and make them a more reasonable animal in that point. Yeah. And then that's functional to me because my dog will then end up making less mistakes. They'll be more responsive to me. They'll be just more present in the training that we're doing. So that's a way for me to diagnose where they're at in terms of their stimulation level, like how their how their brain is working and where their nervous system is at. And that I want them to be at what I think is a reasonable level that we can actually go through with this training. And if they can't even eat in that situation, that's a problem for me because I just, for, at least for this is my experience with my dogs and a lot of other Malinois shepherds that I'm putting my hands on these days and over the last about six, seven years since we've cared more about this, um, is that I just know that the training might not go as well for that dog that can't accept food for a dog that can sit there and take that food. Yeah. And then the other, so that's, it's a diagnostic thing. And then the other thing is the level of discipline that I require. So once the dog can eat food and take it, I go, cool, this dog's going to be a bit more reasonable. Well, actually now I want this food to be as close to reinforcing as it can be. And that just takes us uh, that takes some patience and an unwilling, a willingness to commit to that idea, that idea that I, I would like that to work. I like the way that sounds. I think that's going to be fruitful for my training program mm. as my dog gets stronger, better, and I, I move up to the higher levels of training. If you want that, then you have to sort of insist on that and prepare the dog to accept that too over time. And I think the big, the big thing, you had mentioned this, Pat, when we are talking about Bart, is this trick that he's got in his tool book. And I think this really solidifies the point for a lot of dogs. If they refuse to take that, which you want to be a reward and hopefully eventually could evolve to be reinforcing, you have to be prepared to remove them from the situation. So punish them by a loss of an opportunity. And a lot of times that, that one move, maybe once or twice, will sink the point into them. Yeah. So they go, bullshit, I'm not going to take this. I'm just going to wait this out because that dude's going to come. You go, man, this was a really good option for you. I'm sorry you didn't want to take it everything else goes away now. Mm. And that sometimes tones the dog right down. They go, whoa. And so that's breaking a logical pair. You put them in the face of a decoy that they've gotten 10 times out of 10. This is the 11th time they're out there. They're sure they're going to get it. You try to give them some food. They can't eat it. You go, oh, I've got a problem right now. Let me work on teaching my dog to accept food. Even when the bite work is in the air, you make some headway with that. Eventually you want the dog to hold it down, stay in pain with food while the decoy's over there cracking a whip. They sort of take the food. Maybe they spit it out or something like this. But at some point you go, you know what, man, you're not going to get 
that decoy because this yep. is what's happening. Be mindful, be present, be in the moment. And that usually will sink the point in to them as they go, oh, that's not a given. I violated an expectation, broken a logical pair. Mm. And there's a lot to be said in that same space as well of conditioning in that mm. I, I made a video during the week that was a the follow-up to something I'd had a long time ago. And I had, I made a video once of my dog on the treadmill with his ball and I'm, he's putting in a good fight to keep the ball on a string and um, I get a handful of food and I put it next to it. He's obviously not going to give up the ball for the food. Uh, a stuff like a piece of kibble in his nose. I'm putting kibble behind the ball directly into his mouth. He's ignoring all of that. I'm really trying hard to give him this food. And then I just place my hand out flat with the food on it and click and he like, bang, smashes into the food and eats it, right? And that that upsets some people. Like, that'll never work. I was like, because I'm teaching my out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that'll never work. He'll never out off of a bite. And we did it last week. Mm -hmm. He's like in a proper bite. The dog likes to bite. He's not like he bites to out. Have you seen that recent video that Pat did? No, no. I'm interested. I think, yeah, you need to have a look at it. There's a range of activities that he's doing with the dog. Like there was a couple of challenges that a couple of girls put up online each had their own challenge and uh, Pat and I were talking and he said, uh, I reckon Remy could do all of them combined. If you go back to your methodology, you're talking about getting the dog to a point of accepting input. Mm. And Remy is very much at that stage with Pat where he's he's listening and he's very attentive, mm. you know, and he's aware of what Pat's trying to communicate to him. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do and what we what we used to fail in doing quite fundamentally in the early days of training is we weren't paying attention to the dog we were just telling the dog what i want Mm. so we were were telling the dog what i want and we're basically it was all basic needs i want this and when you give it to me i'm going to give you this we weren't really working within the sciences of accepting that dogs are intelligent Mm. you know it was just raw material and over the years over the decades that have gone like you, you go back 30 years ago we were still in the stage of thinking dogs saw in black and white, like we were talking last night. Mm. We were still thinking that that is the concept, dogs see in black and white. Mm. Well, now through science, we know that's not the fact. They've got rods and cones in their eyes. They perceive colour. They just don't have the same spectrum of, of seeing colour ranges like we do. But the reality is if you can actually get the dog to a point of paying attention to you and working in parity with you, then you start seeing a whole shift in the dynamic of the dog's behaviour. And... That was what Pat was demonstrating is that when I'm talking to Remy, he understands what I want. You know, Mm. like it's not just a random display of behavior. It's behavior that the dog and I are synchronized with. He gets me, I get him, Mm. you know, and we basically fulfill those needs together. And it's it's a great video because Mm. it formats everything in one composite video. So, yeah, it was good. You should see it. I'll have to watch that. Yeah, you have to watch it. When you were talking about that, my my thoughts were um, at the point where where Remy was playing with the ball and you were presenting the food, were you interested to see if he would switch or did you want him to switch or were you proofing his commitment to the toy? Yeah, I knew he wouldn't. Got it. I knew he wouldn't. Okay, but but you would have allowed it to happen if you wanted it to happen. Like if he would have switched mentally and go, food's there. I would be shocked if that happened. Right. But I I would have allowed it, but I I would have been shocked. Mm. So you weren't actually, he didn't actually want the food and you were proofing him to hold on to the toy. You just knew that he would be committed to the toy because that drive trumps his drive for food. Yeah. But then when you clicked, he switched to the food. Yeah. And that's your training. Yeah. That's your training that says, that's a a reflexive response. That's a conditioned response. The clicker predicts food. Yeah. So it's a terminal mark that would predict. That's right. And it's it's reflexive that he, he, Mm. he, he has to eat and that's why it will work as an out. But what's important to me and, and this is what I try, I'd spend a lot of time trying to explain this to people and I don't think either I'm not explaining it right or people don't 
care as much as I do about it. That I think that your market for food has to not uh, predict how much food there's going to be or how important that food is going to be at the Mm. time because then my dog just gets satiated over a training session and and my last piece of – if my budget per day is 100 kibbles, my 99th kibble I give, I want to have the same bang as Mm. my first kibble that Mm. I give. And what's important to me is if I offer my dog food – I don't. I want him to look at it and just make a decision about whether he wants it or not, right? Because mm. I'm, I'm happy with that. He looked at the ball. He goes, I am enjoying the ball on my scale of enjoyment. This is a 10 or, you know, this is an eight, mm. right? I enjoy biting the ball. And I see how much food you have. Mm. And that is a one value of food. So mm. I choose the ball over the food. Mm. But then when I click... That click should mean you any – well, it could be the any bank amount. Is open. It could be any amount. It, mm. it makes him a gambler because mm. he then goes, well, not only must I take that food, you might give me more, mm. but certainly if I don't take that food, you ain't giving me any. Right. And that's where, like, you'd be creating a gambler. And that's, like, with our box feeding protocol stuff that I'm trying to get more people doing is I will click my dog out of a box full of food because I want my dog to be looking at his bowl. It doesn't have to be boxed, whatever – I want him to look down at his food, hear the marker, hear the click and go, in my bowl, there are 15 kibbles. That has a value, Mm. but I have no idea how much he's about to give me. That Mm. could be 100 kibbles. It could be one kibble. It could be anything. Mm. And then he's a gambler, Mm. right? So then Mm. that that clicker is an opportunity for the maximum. Mm. And where people, I think, go wrong with this is for a dog to believe something, it has to have at some point been true. That's right. So they forget to jackpot. People Mm. forget to be lazy, Mm. just walk outside and go, click, here's the whole lot, Mm. right? For nothing. They forget the variable schedule. Yeah, so they... They think they're doing good training because they've got I've got a hundred kibbles. That's a hundred clicks, mm-hmm. and straight away you flatten the dog out, mm-hmm. and the dog knows that click announces one kibble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas I want my dog to think that click is like maybe. I have no maybe. idea. Yeah, maybe it could be anything. Mm-hmm. It's worth trying, and and you know that when your dog will leave a known quantity of food for an unknown quantity of food because of the click, he's a gambler. Yeah, and that's yeah. What Bart I think talks about that in the he calls it communism. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. So if every time I click, I get exactly the same all the time. I don't have to try harder. Stops giving a shit. Yeah, and, exactly. And, the, and that's the problem where people go from, they start on a continual schedule all the time and that's what they remain on. So mm-hmm. they keep the dog fixed, in behavior. Fixed schedule. A yeah. fixed schedule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just keep the dog in behavior and the dog mm-hmm. doesn't have to try harder or it doesn't matter if the dog does less or more. The mm. reward is the same. Mm. So they forget to, to change for, to a variable schedule to actually – two things occurring is the prediction is I don't know what's going to happen, but this could be great. I, mm. I could be getting a huge reward here. Mm. So I need to try harder. I hope I'm going to get it, you know. Like I, I missed before because I fucked something up. I missed before. But if I do something different or try harder Skinner, or speed up – Yeah, Skinner. in Skinner, mm. yeah, in Skinner's theory, if I try harder through hope – I might get better. Mm-hmm. I might it might show a vast improvement, and by doing that, we prevent the extinction process from occurring as well. So the dog mm-hmm. is is more ingrained in behaviour and more committed to the behaviour rather than just saying, "Yeah, well, it's not happening," and you know, big deal, mm-hmm. kind of just walk off and forget about it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, one of the things you had mentioned last night was uh, for dogs that are more into their food than toy. And then how do we kind of contend, contend from that or with that? And Josh probably experiences more of those dogs. Maybe like uh, if you're just working with your, your pet clients, a lot of times those dogs aren't as gamey as these dogs that we get bred for sport mm. or for the work. And uh, at least in my, you know, when I come across, when somebody comes to me and says, I really want my dog to play better, 
they really love their food. And if I, if I get a little bit of play in the session, I switch to food. Uh, they can't toggle back to the toy. It's just, mm. they don't care enough. Their mind gets really focused on the, the food. And often I don't, uh, I don't, I don't worry as much about a switch from food back to toy as I want the switch from toy back to food because of how much that can impact um, like those stronger dogs that are more gamey and then make mistakes in training because they're too aroused for toy. Yeah. And because we haven't taught the pieces that lead up to toy or pre enough stuff or got impulse control in place or whatever, how, however you'd conduct your training, um, if there's pieces that aren't crystal clear to your dog, then you can have some problems around that. And so to this day, though, people make programs that are reliable and hold up and they can compete often for jackpots of food or just do it all with food work. And so there's ways that you can get your toy play. Um, but it mattered, it mattered less to me, um, that the dog would switch back from food to toy, uh, just because I see a lot of the problems that come with the arousal state that's associated with the prey drive around biting stuff and chasing. I think I wanted to invite you in. <laughs> I was like, Josh, your, what do you have to say? Let me just fucking keep talking here. Oh, we can drop F bombs, just not the Yeah, F-bomb. you can drop yeah. the F bombs. You just can't say the C bomb. Yeah, that was Josh that said the F bomb. I don't swear. Filthy Josh. Josh well, you know, I am who I am. <laughs> I do see that a lot in pet dogs, though. There's there's a huge amount of dogs out there that they don't have the, the same type of mentality. You know, you throw a ball for them and. You know, I have a pity at home that she'll play. She likes to tug a lot more than fetch. But if you throw a ball, she kind of looks at you like, what the fuck are you throwing shit for? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see a ton of clients whose dogs, and it's hard for me to say, right? I, I can't necessarily say that they're not going to play because they don't like to play. Because I get a lot of clients who's, who seem fairly incapable of committing to playing with their dog in a really meaningful and impassioned mm-hmm. way. And they don't put the time in to do it. So the dog doesn't have like a, a real amount of predicted value in that game. So it's hard for me to say if these dogs have really low drive for toys or if they just never get the opportunity to express that part of themselves. But food is something that is a part of every dog owner's owner's life with a dog. Yeah. Right? So uh, they, they, you get a lot of people in the pet dog world that'll happily tell you, you know, that their dog has no food drive. Whatsoever. Yeah, so but say. the dog's fucking seven years old. So like, yeah. mm. how did yeah. he last he's this alive. long? Yeah. Yeah, right? He's alive, he's uh, alive uh, and he's obese. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But there's a great many people who have dogs that, that either, you know, they've been told that playing tug with their dog is going to turn him into some sort of Jeffrey Dahmer or they mm. don't have the physical Isn't that ability. a bizarre concept that that is still existing in people in this day and age? Yeah. Yeah, that feeding red meat to your dog will blood your dog and it will turn <laughs> savage and it will turn on a your A guy children. in Australia really said that yeah. on Facebook. Oh, I mean, I've heard a trainer. it. From, <laughs> it was a, a professional It was dog a professional trainer, trainer that actually sure. gave that advice that if you feed bloody red meat to your dog, that it will turn it savage. Yeah. Well, I've heard the same type of BS from people in the States about playing tug with your dog, about... You the know, thing I find about the playing go tug, through the door first and all that shit. The, the, the tug one is a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because I've had plenty of clients who've had breeders tell them because they've got large breed dogs or like a Ridgeback is a classic one. Never play tug with a Ridgeback yeah. because it, it's dangerous. Yeah, lion make, hunting yeah, dogs. Mm. It's, it's dangerous. You'll make him, you'll make him aggressive. To go out but and find a lion and take him down. Yeah. If you find yourself in a position where he's got something you need, you must never let him win. Like you have to take it off him. And 
if the dog wants to play tug, he's going to get something you need, right? Yeah. And then if you have to put the smack down onto that dog, you are going to create an aggressive dog sure. that guards resources. Sure. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's really going to happen. Mm, and yeah. then they go, oh, the breeder was right. Like she yeah. was right. What she said is exactly what happened. Mm. And then when you turn up and you go, oh, the fix is we play tug every day. Yeah. Right. And let yeah. him win. Yeah. And here's an actual tug. Yeah. Like Teach he, him to exchange for other tugs or yeah. to food yeah. or whatever, create some sort of cooperative mentality around yeah. it. Yeah. And and what also blows people's minds and even a lot of working dog people get upset about this is when I say, Oh yeah, let him win and then chase him around doing crab hands at him like you're trying really <laughs> hard to get it back and use all kinds of recalls, except for your real recall. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like imply you want him back and let him get away from you and People are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's the opposite of what I, w- I want the thing back. I'm like, no, no, this is the path to getting it back. Sure, sure. But there's a ton of pet dog clients that are, to a certain extent, probably just not even remotely interested in taking that time to do that. Mm. Right? Like, and that's the, the vast majority of them. Yeah, man. Mm. From my perspective, I really don't give a shit in most cases, not because I don't want their dog to have fun or play, but like, they won't do it. It's not integral to the relationship. And mm. it's not really something that's super important to these people that may have a dog that really wants to play tug, but they're not going to do it and they're not going to do it properly. Yeah. And they're not going to It's not easy or enjoyable and, for them, right? So I'm not going to beat them over the head with it, you know? So mm. working with food is oftentimes yeah. you know, do, a no-brainer in that yeah. sense. Do you know when we watch videos of people doing like parkour or something like that, where we mm-hmm. just sit there and we think, wow, that is just incredible. Yeah. There are so many people around the world that are capable of doing that. Like mm-hmm. the, the vast majority of the population, if they were trained and disciplined in it, they could do it. But the reason we marvel at it and we're so intrigued by it is because the vast majority won't do it. They don't want to do it. Precisely. They have no inclination. But when they watch someone do it, who is training all the time and is fixated in that behavior. And for a lot of us who are involved in that working sport dog environment where we can train a dog up to a a reasonable standard, high standard, we're kind of like the anomaly. We're the anomaly of people that will actually get out there and do it. I mean, Pat's more focused in his training than I am. In the early days when I was doing it with Harley, my dog up there on the wall, I was training him all the time. Like I, I was much more passionate about training. Yeah, Yeah, I was obsessed with it. It was, and it was an obsession and probably an unhealthy one. (laughs) Because I was one of those people that dictated that, you know, like, look at my dog. My dog's amazing. He can do all this. He can do all that. But I was training that dog like five, six days a week Mm -hmm. and like putting as much work into him as a professional bodybuilder would do at a gym. You know, that's what I was doing. So I was one of those people selling a bullshit story to people saying, you know, you too can have a dog like mine. But what I wasn't saying is you too can have a dog like mine if you work your ass off every day. If you have a life like mine. And forego everything else. And for the pet dog person who just, that's not important to them. And that took me a while to sort of get into my head. You know, I'm thinking, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you getting involved in it? And it really perplexed me at the time. You know, I kind of sat back and thought, what the fuck's going on here? Mm. You know, why won't you do this? Why are you ignoring my instruction? Why won't you Mm. um, help you help yourself? But in their own way, they are. All Mm. they want to do is just tweak some minor things. They don't want the major things that we want for competitive or sport or agility type dogs. They just don't need it. It's not not suitable. Well, I think that's also just the difference between perhaps an ideal situation and what's really going to happen. You know, the ideal and the real. Potential versus reality. Yeah, I have a client with a small with a Jack Russell years ago and the dog was a fucking gorgeous dog. And I mean that not how he looked. He was just a Jack Russell, but the dog was a fucking maniac <laughs> had like a $3,000 surgery because was just voracious about 
anything that he thought he could get his hands on. So one of the kids dropped a glass off the counter. And dude just gobbles it up. <laughs> ran over there and just started eating I, it. I don't know what we're laughing about, the dog eating glass. <laughs> right? but, yeah. but like, it just seems so ridiculous yeah. but to those of us who enjoy a dog I think that it's level of commitment. Josh says it was a gorgeous dog because it was a maniac that <laughs> ate glass <laughs> right on the floor. That's yeah. why we're like, I like that dog too. Yeah. You know? yeah. Right? But for us, that seems like, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Like, this dude's going to be a great companion. Yeah. These people had looked like they adopted a serial killer. <laughs> Another them, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, it was just so overwhelming to them that this mm. dog could kind of betray everything that they thought was supposed to be there. You know, I brought this dog into my house and I feed him all the time and he won't stop fucking biting my kids. And he like just goes off, glass off the rails. Yeah, and... It's like a total spaz. Yeah. But I look at that dog and you know, if I sat down every day and you know, do some some free shaping, do some box training, teach him how to play tug, like teach him how to be clear headed when he's doing these types of things. That dog can live a totally different type of lifestyle, mm. but there's so many of those dogs out there. There's not enough dudes like us to take them in. Mm. So we have to sometimes sacrifice what might be the absolute best way for this dog to live and understand I got to get him to a manageable spot for with sure. these people who just want him to stop doing ridiculous shit. Um, sure. I had a conversation. It was either Katrina or Georgie. Sometimes they become the same person in my head about what an awesome job it would be to be the dog allocator. So just be able to take people's dogs off people and be like, no, no, like I know someone that will Switch like this out. dog. Here's yeah. this fat Labrador. This is your dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He pointed at me then. <laughs> he, he so pointed at me when he said that. <laughs> uh, you get this fat Labrador or this golden retriever, whatever. This is this couch dog. You, that's what you get. And then you know someone you've got. Ah, okay. You, hey, man. I heard you've been looking for a crazy Jack Russell. Ta-da! Yeah. How cool a job would that be? Mm -hmm. And just have people have no say in it. No, I'm taking this dog. Oh, but no, 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 no. He's coming with me. He's going to get a cat instead. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to go kill stuff down holes for the rest of his life. (laughs) Oh, but I want a couch potato. Here's your couch potato. Here's one I prepared earlier. Are you guys familiar with uh, Patrick Burns at all? No. He runs a website called Terrier Terrier Man. Man. Yeah. Legitimate, like crazy person. Uh, and, and, uh, I got a lot of love for this dude in the best uh, of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but mega smart. You know, he he works around DC. Really, really intelligent guy. Um, but first time I went and met him, Tyler and I drove down to Virginia. We were going to see Bart, and before we went, we met up with Patrick, and he's like, "Hell yeah, we'll go hunt." So he rocks up, and he's got his little Jack Russells these crates in the back of his car and they're just like shaking around vibrating like bouncing yeah. all over the back. And, uh, and he goes to, he looks at both of us. He goes, all right, when we get out to the field, job number one is don't lose my dog. Job number two is don't lose my fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he then had to tell us that he prefers his dogs to be as close to feral as humanly possible mm-hmm. while still being able to live with them. And we get out there, he pops these crates off and just like a rocket. They just take off into the field. And he's like, get the shit. We got to go. <laughs> because there wasn't a chance these dudes were coming back when he called them. They just disappeared out in the out in the field, found a hole, down the hole. Mm. And then, you know. Madness ensued. Yeah, exactly. So now we got to spend, you know, the next two hours digging down four feet to snare this little friggin' groundhog or whatever. But that's the the way he likes his dogs. If you were to tell him, hey, man, like you really need to train a recall. You really need to like teach your dog a place command. You really, he'll tell you to go fuck off. Like, mm-hmm. That's not even part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. For him. It's not useful to him at yeah. all. Yeah. For him, he wants a maniac, mm-hmm. which, again, like do your thing, man. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people out there that have a pet dog that's 
that's a horrifying experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny when you see a different context of, of dog work, right? Like when um, me and Sam went and saw my little Springer, went and watched her parents compete mm-hmm. when she was young. And uh, so we'd never, I'd never been to a field trial before. And we go to the Springer Spaniel Club of Victoria's field trial, right? And, you know, we're working dog guys. We're both still in the army at that point. Like it's one dog comes out, you do the work, you have your safety brief, dogs are on lead, you know, all the, all the bullshit, right? So we get to the middle of this field where we're going to have this gun dog trial and you know, there's 10 cars. They've all got at least two springers in them. They open the crates and it's just like, you know those cartoons of the Tassie devil when he spins in a circle yeah. and it's just dust? It's just that. 20 springers just doing that. Like mm. all, like no aggression in any of them. Mm. They're all having the best time. They're all related in one way or another. It's this big reunion. <laughs> they're all playing. And then it's like, okay, we're going to go. Like they do their, their brief on how the competition's going to go. Meanwhile, dogs are just off lead, having a mad time, just playing with each other. And then, okay, let's go work. And all the dogs come over and they get clipped up and they go and do the work. And we looked at each other like, what the fuck is, did we just see? <laughs> like, I've never seen anything like that with controlled dogs. Like, you see madness in the dog park, but then to be able to see people just go like, okay, let's go, let's go do the work. Mm. And the dog's just like, oh, fuck, fuck playing with you. I'm going to retrieve rabbits. That's right? cool. Yeah. Oh, both of us are just like, like really clear Whoa. context about what's going on. Like, you go play yeah. right now. Hey, yeah. you guys done? Cool. We're going to go do this other thing. I like yeah. that. All right. I'm with you. Yeah. I was going to say this because I thought, I think it might be helpful and it just relates to the play stuff that we were talking about. Something else I mentioned last night. And I'd mentioned her before. She's a trainer in the States called Shade Weitzel. I think she is going to be in Australia next year. I don't think she had committed anything yet. But she um, does some neat stuff with play, and it's kind of similar to having different markers that predict value in different places. But she names the way that she's going to interact with the toy, with the dog, differently. Uh, so, for example, if you had a toy in your hands and the dog let go of it and you wanted to permit the dog to re-engage the toy with their mouth while you're holding on to it, um, I'll just go through what she does. That would be bite. Mm-hmm. And if she's going to make the toy you know, fly across the field, she'll say chase and she'll throw the toy. And if she, and one of, one of the things she might do is just pop it up in the air. So she'll say catch and she'll pop it up in the air. And there's a couple of things that it does as far as I can see or what, why I like it. One is that, um, right now, most of the time when we watch other trainers play with dogs, we're sort of seeing one kind of style of play. And I feel like, um, it comes, uh, it's mostly holding on to a toy and kind of like tugging your dog around like the classic tug of war thing that you see. And that works great for a lot of dogs. It's actually what they prefer to do is feel a little bit like contentious with the toy. You want you to spar with them, try to steal it. You can't cause you're not strong enough. They win every time. So they shove it back into you and that helps them become like, you know, better, stronger, more into the game. But then there's some dogs that don't like that as much. And it's either because uh, they just don't like the energy that comes with that, or they have some, some, hang up about doing that with the person that they really care about. They're human. So they don't want to interact with them that way. And so it varies the way that they play with the toy. So there's different things that could happen. It's not just going to be this one-sided game where we're, we're tugging with each other and you have to win. And that's what I'm seeking. You sort of make it a more rich experience by the toy can do other things. And so that's cool for a lot of dogs because it lets up on if they feel any sort of pressure from the human about you should be playing like this. And they go, man, that's not really me. And I don't want to do that with you. You're now making the toy do different things so they can get on board with that, which is kind of a nice thing. And the other thing is that because the toy can do different things, it's just like breaking logical pairs. What you have is a dog that expects the toy to operate in different ways. So they have to be a little bit more mindful in the play too. And then just as a byproduct of making the toy toss eventually or chuck it up in the air versus just telling the dog they can rebite it after you out them. It's a toy. The dog gives you a little bit of space uh, and they step back and they actually kind of observe more what's happening. So instead of just outing and now you're going to get the toy back from my hands, it's I can make this thing fly across the yard or I could chuck it in the air. So after the out, the behavior that you see to happen once these dogs kind of catch on to that, that there's a variety of things now is they back up a little bit. 
and they go, what is actually going to happen with this? Because I love chasing the toy. I love catching it out of the air. And I also like taking it while it's still in your hands. And so you see less mistakes of dogs rebiting a toy when they're not supposed to after the out, having some sort of frustration that seeps in because that's the only thing that ever happens is they rebite the toy after they're outed and they're making the mistake. You know how to contend with it. You haven't taught them properly. So now the dog's boiling over and you're having some conflict here with your toy play. So it really, you know, in a kind of a smart way, eases on some of those problems that people experience with toys when they're only playing in one way. So mm-hmm. having that variety is cool because for the dog that doesn't want to play just in that one way, you can open up that game for them in a way that I think is really important for a lot of dogs. Uh, and the other is they make less mistakes. It said like of just having one outcome with this toy mm-hmm. out and I'm going to take it back. You're trying to teach the dog to hold on just a little bit longer and they can't. So they grip it and you're upset with them. It's both the other thing too, is that for the person that's not physically able to play in this way that we play with dogs. We're Why did you around. point at me when you said that? <laughs> I did it. He's you're, the fat, you're the fat Labrador. Like, <laughs> Listen, for this last point, I want to make sure Glenn comes back in the room. All of you listening don't understand, but he checked out for a moment. <gasps> Glenn, I need to speak with you just really clear. But if you, if you physically are like at a disadvantage or it's not comfortable to play that way, now you, can, you have other options. Like yeah. you don't have to sit and hang on while your dog's trying to drag you around a field. It's like out here, toss the toy. And, uh, I really saw saw that first from I think I, Ivan was a guy that back in you know 2000 and earlier was chucking the toy a lot for his dog. He throws a frisbee a lot now for his dog. So it's not just you need to fight me for the toy. It's like this thing can fly. Express yourself that way, man. Yeah, go do this, do that. So really, I think it's just smart. Isn't it the mm-hmm. cool thing though? Like when we you Josh and I were sitting around just chatting last night and talking about this, that the fact that we're now learning new concepts in in learning dog behavior or animal behavior. Full stop is that we're not so predisposed to our old way of thinking. Like what we talked about earlier in this actual conversation is we actually have a shift in consciousness about how to mm. actually train a dog now. Mm. Like I'm telling you, the way I learned to train dogs was barbaric in the early days. And that's only because we knew what we knew at that point in time. And now we're all learning different concepts. Like, mm. And that's the great thing about And this is why I keep trying to encourage people to – travel and learn and talk to other people and, you know, drop your, drop the shield a little bit. Don't be afraid to go and uh, understand that you don't know everything. That's, that's quite exciting. That's not a, that's not a threat. That's actually really exciting. It's you an don't opportunity. Know, it is a great opportunity. It's a fantastic opportunity. I don't know everything. There's a lot of people out there who are doing shit I've never imagined or I've never seen. And it can really, I mean, for, for me, we, you know, we talk about arousal and training. It's arousal in, in human training and learning mm. when you can see new concepts in training. It's the exciting part of getting back involved in um, being meaningful in a dog's life. And, mm. and even with the people around you that you're educating and, mm. you, and you've been on, for us, the, you know, the opportunity of doing this podcast is that we're talking to people about different concepts of training, different things that they've done. And also letting people listen to that as well. I mean, that is a, that's a real buzz. It really mm. is. If people are missing the point on that, which is, I didn't really want to put a negative context on it. Now I'm talking don't about do it. Positive. Don't do it. Just stop. Well, I, I, <laughs> what I want to say is that I get disappointed for people who consciously don't get involved, like right. have, have still been doing it the same way for 20 years and mm. refuse to budge from that mm. and yet still sell themselves off as in some sort of mastery concept. Mm. Um, and I think why that's the frustration of dealing with people is that they consciously do stupid things, but people do it for different reasons. They do. Right. And so what's neat is like, you'll, you'll meet along the way people that are doing it for the same reason that you're doing it, which is you just enjoy spending your time that way, or you're kind of enamored with who the dog is and the relationship they have with 
like their person and what that can all mean. So whatever, whatever reason you kind of get in it for. And a lot of times like, like-minded folks like that, you end up enjoying like the training together. You kind of go down the same training path and it'll, it'll just feel right. It speaks to your heart in the right way, or it kind of touches on the right points for you. And so I think it kind of takes care of itself in a, in a neat way. At least it has for me over now, over the years since I've been in it, it's uh, we talked about this a little bit last night, but you just kind of gravitate towards people that are like-minded and enjoy yeah. training the same way. And mm. usually it's good training too. It's good stuff. Mm. Ideally. What? Are we talking? Are, uh, we, are we like talking <laughs> low in volume to make it sound more, more intimate? More intimate. Um, I think on what you were just saying, then, Glenn, is a lot of the people that are stuck in the past don't have a dog they can show you, though. But that—that's the measure. Like, if you—if you're saying anything that might be controversial, like exactly to use me as an example again, like I'm saying that I have no problem with my dog clicking off of a bite and taking food, and and I can show you that it works. I, I don't, we don't need to discuss it. We can get out my dog and, mm. and we can have a look. You, you, we don't need to. Yeah. There's no point having the people who want to be involved in, this is how we do it and this is how it is, and you don't know, well, show me your dog, and mm. then we can. I'll show you my dog and we can discuss it. Well, let's go back to Remy for a second. How many takes did it take us to get that video that you put up online the other day? Two, because he, there was on the retrieve the first time, there was a we, tunnel that we had right. involved and he got stuck in the tunnel <laughs> because it, the end of it folded over because yeah. it wasn't pinned down. He mm. got stuck in it and had a flip out in the tunnel and still did it, but it just... He, he did the behaviour, mm, but it just... So Pat, he said, as oh, Pat okay, said, we'll if, if anyone tunnel. wants to like challenge me on the concept, I'm happy to show him the video where he screwed up. The point is, is that dog was on path to performing perfect behavior. Mm. But the reality is, and we weren't trying to do a stooge video or anything like that. Well, all that stuff is PSA level two stuff. There was yep. nothing in it that mm. wasn't, that's what I was edited. happy to do. It, it wasn't pieced together. It but, was one continuous shoot. And but, I was I was the guy behind the camera. Like I'm walking around following Pat around the room, holding the camera while he's doing it. And I mean, he literally came in with a game plan on the night and said, okay, this is what I'm, I'm excited. This is what we're going to do. He was looking like pulling it off on the first stunt. He got stuck on the, like the tunnel flipped over because we didn't peg it down. He got stuck on it. We thought, oh, that's a shame. We actually thought he might not do it again because now he's in too high of arousal. I said, just give him 10 minutes. Let him calm down. Let him start breathing again. We gave him 10 minutes, got the camera, got the crew set up again, did the shot, pulled it off. Mm -hmm. Easy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's the exciting thing. But that as really I say, is. none of it is anything that isn't, outside of a normal training session anyway, because that's all PSA level two yep. stuff. Decoy neutrality, value transfer, that understanding of like, that's not your decoy now. That's it will life be in later. the system. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You must yep. take this ball. You must, you must stop chewing the ball when I tell you to stop. <clears throat> you got to do all these things. And mm. it's exactly as you're discussing then for us with, so what was that? Well, Shay Whitesall? Shade Whitesall, yeah. 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 So like I have a similar thing, like the ball, I can tell my dog to play with the ball in three different ways, mm -hmm. the same ball mm -hmm. and all different words. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I say, you take it from me. Mm -hmm. If I say Stellan, it's over there, dead on the floor, go mm -hmm. get it. It's my bite command. Yeah. And if I want you to, go get it, bring it back and play tug with me. I say play. And Got it's the it. same yeah. ball, yeah. same thing. It's the exact same, yeah. but it spins a different dial in his mm. head. And I'm going to mm. use one of those depending on, first of all, where the ball is, but then how I want to reward the behavior that's happening. Yeah, right. So I like that. I would just say, um, and I'm glad you asked her name again, because I just like giving credit for that, because it's good information that's going out. So Shade Weitzel. Um, and I like uh, just closing on that, the... There's no body language that tells you what's going to happen with the toy in this instance. So you have the toy in your hands mm -hmm. and you could say bite, the dog takes it. You can say chase. And then afterwards, just like we know with good training, you do your mark and then you express your, and you break from position, you do whatever. So the action happens afterwards. Um, so that's kind of like the saving grace for the dogs that are particularly 
like impulsive mm -hmm. is it kind of gives them a chance to catch their breath. They have to wait for more information. So the word helps. So the, the picture is neutral. The dog believes the neutral picture, the word tells the story. And then whatever happens afterwards is not, is not as well, it is important to make, make the causality, but it's not as important because the dog already knows. And then based on that, and for dogs that hone in on the body language or need to have things set up to, to understand the picture, um, this just protects them a little bit from that. And it's a word based thing. So mm. I don't know if I explained that correctly. Oh my God. So Shade, 2019, <laughs> let's come out and see her. Cool name, Shade. She's cool. Yeah, yeah. she's cool. How long has she been in the dog world for? She's been doing a long time. Yeah, she's been doing a real long time. Just an interesting cat. She just got a new puppy. So if you guys check her out on, she's on the Facebook and stuff like that. Catch on to her a little bit. So 2019, she's uh, allergic to the sun. So she might have to come out in the winter and then she wore a big Legit sombrero. allergic to the sun. Yeah. 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 The shade's fitting for her. Yeah. White people problems. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all not. Wait, what? So we've been going for a little while and I want to go train my dog. So any closing thoughts, guys, before we finish up? Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> that was deep. Uh, yeah. Glenn, are you going to get this out in time for people to hear it before the seminar on the weekend? I will do my best to have it out tonight. So, so we've recorded this. Uh, I'll try and, we'll try and record it the same day and get it out the same day. So it should be on iTunes and Spotify. Spotify, we're very proud about that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah we that's got on Spotify. Deal. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we're in 48 countries now. Legit. Legit that's incredible. in 48 not, countries. Was that not legit yeah. before? What, it was what? not legit before, but it is legit now. I looked at the stats uh, Why wasn't morning. it legit? I don't understand yeah. the difference. It's big time. We're big time in it. Well, I think we've said that Oh, no, we've... I said 45. 45, 40, no, 48, 48, 48 countries around the world. So um, that's... Thank you very much, everyone. Mm. We really appreciate that. Like, that is awesome that people are uh, taking a chance and listening to it. And in some countries, like, I think we've mentioned it before, but like Estonia, you know, I mean, mm. I, I, there's people in Greece that have said they enjoy listening to the show. And, mm. you know, like I've said, oh, you know, the, the States is huge. Like Australia is the, obviously the biggest. We've got the biggest audience. Then by a, a country mile, it's it's definitely the States. Canada is terrible. You guys are disgraceful. Pick your game up. I've been <laughs> saying that about Canada for <laughs> the, the funny one, early in the early days, like three or four episodes in, Glenn posted up like, oh, I heard in 12 countries, including Malaysia or whatever. And there was a dude posted a photo of his face, like an Aussie guy. I can't remember his name. Was I was like, in holiday oh, in was Malaysia. Just me. I was in Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> like, disregard that one. Yeah, it's just yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I'll, motherfucker. I'll just say one thing in closing. We um, we talked about a fair, like some good concepts, actually, just in this time that we spent together with uh, like terminal bridge discrimination, getting the dog to accept food while there's a decoy around, these sorts of things. All of, all of these techniques that you would use to navigate your training and teach your dog um, are dog dependent always. So yeah. like as we sit here, we don't go, this is the, you all, you have you to reward your dog to you and have that skill in place while the helper's there. Otherwise you can't make your training. It's just not true because training has been made for a long time um, despite that. But there's reasons that you would do certain things or would not. And your dog will sort of tell you the route yeah. to take. And so yeah, that's just course. neat. Just being open-minded and having access to this material. You could say, hey man, I learned about that and I should apply that to this dog because I think it'll be helpful. So mm -hmm. yeah. here's a concept. Concept. This is how it could work. This is the type of dog it might fit and try it out, play with it. And that's how you get good at it and learn if it's the right choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just never use absolutes, right? That's it, man. No, no absolutes <laughs> in dog training. We said it Don't a lot. ever yeah. Yeah. use absolutes. Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks for coming on, fellas. So that, that's a taste. If you're listening and you haven't bought a ticket to this weekend, jump online. You can do that. Um, it's on Eventbrite, right? It's on Eventbrite. If you look in Eventbrite, 
and go to Mickey Moran. It's uh, on that. You I like can, the sound of that. Yeah, Mickey Moran. It sounds good. It comes. It, it slides so off the tongue like <laughs> sexual chocolate. Uh, so yeah, if you go on, if you go on there, you can find there. All the details are on there. Uh, so it's going to be a wild weekend. It's going to be great. We're actually going to do a podcast panel. Um, in the studio with the guys and whoever's when he says around. studio this time he means shed yeah, yeah, shed, yeah. fuck you guys <laughs> you're blowing my cover here you know I had a great gig going and Pat just comes in and goes oh look you know it's just, just a- pull the pull the rug out from under there <laughs> yeah. but no it'll be a good time because we'll we'll get some beers and stuff and um, beers we'll and pizza uh, talk shit yeah you know, get half laced and start talking shit and start and, training uh, dogs afterwards then. start training dogs and hey, yeah. you guys can get half laced I'm going full retard <laughs> <laughs> ACP here we come again (laughs) Uh, right, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm as always if you like what you're hearing jump onto whatever subscription service you download us from including Spotify including Spotify like, rate, share, subscribe (laughs) all of that Uh, help other people uh, get a hold of us just go ahead and tell a friend even and if you want to go and get in contact with us the best way to do that is via Facebook we are the Canine Paradigm we're on Instagram as well the Canine Paradigm there Glenn Fart noises on the way out, please. <laughs> <laughs>